Hey guys, it's so great to be with you all this morning. I'm really excited to share the word with you today. Uh, before I begin, uh, I'd like to acknowledge the guys that have helped provide us with an opportunity to connect like this online. So today I'm coming to you from the salubrious surrounds of Studio Julian. Julian has very kindly set up this studio in, this in his house and he and Tristan have been flat out bringing this production to us. Uh, Jordan has been helping out as well and, and Russ, of course, who's done the majority of preaching as well as working with the guys behind the scenes. So to all of you guys, thank you. Uh, this literally couldn't happen without, without you doing what you're doing, so we really appreciate it. Okay, with that being said, let's get on with the preach for today. Uh, I'll be continuing through the series I started last year, Lessons from the Life Of. Uh, before we do that, I'd just like to pray. So, dear Lord, we just, uh, we just lift up today to you, Lord. I just ask, Lord, that your will be done, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will anoint me, Lord, just to, to bring your words. I just pray, Lord, that my words will fall to the ground, Lord, but that your words will be, will be raised up, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that you'll just go before me, Lord, and just really soften and prepare the hearts of your people to receive this message, Lord. We want to bring you honour and glory through, these, uh, through the message that we preach today, Lord. So just let your will be done, Lord, and I just ask, Lord, that, um, that you'll just touch and change lives through this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so today we're going to look at someone who I've always felt is one of the most relatable biblical heroes, well, for me at least. This is someone who was tasked by God to achieve great things, but needed a little reassurance before they took a big leap. So without any further ado and suspense, today we're going to look at lessons from the life of Jerub Baal more commonly known as Gideon. So we'll look at who he was and what he did. We'll then look at the lessons that we can learn from his life. And lastly, how we can apply those lessons to our lives. Sounds like a plan? It's a rhetorical question because no one can answer me. Okay, so firstly, let's look at who Gideon was and what he did. So Gideon's story is found in Judges 6 to 8. So I'm not going to read too much of that scripture. I'm going to paraphrase some of it, but it's Judges 6 to 8. That's the story of Gideon. So Gideon was the fifth judge or leader of the nation of Israel. His name means mighty warrior or mighty man of valor. The story of Gideon begins with him threshing wheat in a wine press. So a wine press was like an outdoor sunken rock pit. Uh, fairly inconspicuous, but wheat was typically threshed in an elevated place so the wind could blow the chaff away. Gideon was forced to do this in a wine press, though, because the Israelites were being plundered by the Midianites, the Amalekites, amongst other eastern invaders. So Gideon threshed in secret. So then an angel of the Lord appears to Gideon, saying to Gideon, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior, or in other translations, mighty man of valor. Gideon isn't that receptive of this message at first, asking the angel, how can the Lord be with them if they were being oppressed by the Midianites? But the Lord replies that Gideon would be the one that he would use to save Israel. Gideon wasn't so sure of this, so asked for proof, as he was in his own words, from the weakest tribe in Manasseh, and he was the least in his family. God obliged and gave Gideon some instructions on setting up a sacrifice. This is a fairly relatable and understandable reaction from Gideon. Something very supernatural happens and he wants proof that it's from the Lord. Uh, I think I definitely would have been asking for some proof too. The Lord, um, so Gideon sets up this sacrifice and the Lord sends fire down to consume the sacrifice. Gideon gets the proof that he was asking for and realizes that the angel is from the Lord and then things start to get a little bit more interesting. God then asked Gideon to tear down his father's altar to Baal and the Asherah pole next to it. And then in its place, 
uh, replace it with a altar to him and then sacrifice a bull on it. Gideon agrees to do this with the help of 10 of his servants, but he does so at night because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople. Again, a fairly relatable thing to do. I'll do it, Lord, but let me do it in, uh, in, in secret at night so no one's going to know that it was me. This didn't work out that well for him, though. So the next day, the people wake up and see what Gideon has done. They realize that the new altar was Gideon's work, and they demand that he be put to death. Joash, Gideon's father, protects him and argues that if Baal really is a god, that he'll take care of Gideon himself. The people agree, and Gideon is given the catchy, roll-off-the-tongue name of Jerub Baal, which meant let Baal contend with him. Gideon is then emboldened and gathers together some of the Israelites for battle. However, Gideon still harbors doubt and asks God for another sign of confirmation. He says this time that he's going to place a, a wool fleece on a threshing floor and that if there is dew on the fleece in the morning but the ground is dry, then he'll know that God is with him. Gideon wakes up the next day and the sign that he asked for has happened. The fleece is soaking but the ground is dry. Gideon then starts to stretch the friendship a little, saying to God, don't be angry with me, but... So he asks this time for the fleece to be dry but the ground to be wet. And the next morning... God obliges him yet again. So now on to Judges uh, chapter, uh, chapter 7. So Gideon has now gathered 30,000 men to fight, but the Lord tells him that this is too many men. So he's got 30,000 that he's gathered, but the Lord says, 30,000 men, you might think that you're going to be doing this in your own strength, but the Lord wanted to show them something supernatural. So normally when we're going into battle, not that I've gone into a battle myself, the more the merrier, but God had different plans. So God asked Gideon to tell the men, anyone who's scared, you can go home. If you're scared about to go into this battle, feel free to go home. 20,000 of the 30,000 leave, so two-thirds of the army leave. I'm sure at this stage Gideon's wondering what's going on. So there's now 10,000 left, but the Lord tells Gideon this is still too many. So the Lord asked Gideon to take the men down to the water. He asked Gideon to separate the men who lapped the water from cup tans versus the men who knelt down to drink. Only 300 lapped the water from their cup tans, and the Lord says to Gideon, that's my army. That 300 is the army, and the rest can go home. Interestingly, Gideon agrees without asking for a sign of confirmation. I'm not sure I would be as obliging as that. So then Gideon takes the 300 down to the enemy camp. The enemy was vast, so vast that it says in Judges 7 verse 12, so Judges 7 verse 12, that their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. So there was a lot of these, um, these guys that were waiting for the Israelites. Not perturbed though, Gideon gets closer to the camp and hears the enemy discussing a dream that was interpreted to mean that they would be defeated by the sword of Gideon. Gideon takes courage from this and divides his men into three groups of a hundred. He places trumpets with jars and torches in his men's hands and creeps down to the edge of the enemy camp. Then, following Gideon's lead, the men blow their trumpets and broke their jars, shouting, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. The enemy panics and the Lord causes them to turn their swords on each other. The rest of the enemy flees and they are cut down by the Israelites in pursuit. During the pursuit, 
Gideon encounters the men of Succoth and Peniel separately and asks them for bread for his troops, but they refuse his request. So once the battle is won, Gideon goes back and punishes these towns. After this, the Israelites asked Gideon to rule over them and for his rulership to be passed down to his son and grandson. However, Gideon refuses to do this, but he does ask for some gold, an earring from each person's share of the plunder. Gideon then uses the gold to make an ephod, which is a sleeveless garment worn by priests. However, the people start to worship the ephod, and this becomes a snare for Gideon and his family. Gideon then settles down, has a lazy 70 sons, that's right, 70 sons, and the land is at peace for 40 years. Eventually, Gideon dies, but unfortunately, the Israelites go straight back into their old ways of worshipping Baal instead of the Lord. So that's the life of Gideon, a humble man, plagued by doubt initially, but would then go on in faith to save Israel from oppression. A mighty warrior, a man of valour, but a man who unfortunately would not leave a legacy that would last. So that's the, that's the story of Gideon. Let's now have a look at some of the lessons that we can learn from his life. Number one, the first lesson we can learn from the life of Gideon, God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. So number one, God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. Gideon was a humble man who was hiding out from the enemy. Even though his family must have been reasonably prominent, he didn't think so. In Judges 6 verse 27, Judges 6 verse 27, he enlists 10 of his servants to tear down his father's altar. So he had at least 10 servants, but still he didn't think too highly of himself. We also know that his father had his own altar, an altar that was significant enough for the rest of the town to notice if there was something done to it. Also in Judges 6 verse 31 and 32, Judges 6 verse 31 and 32, the crowd listened to Gideon's father Joash and spare him. So Gideon's father was well respected as well. In spite of all of this, Gideon downplayed his significance to the angel. He didn't think too highly of himself. God used Gideon even though he saw himself as nothing special. God saw the best in Gideon even though he didn't see the best in himself. God isn't looking for a superstar who has got it all together. He is looking for someone who is faithful and available. God is willing to meet us where we're at. No matter what is going on in your life, God wants the best for you. He wants to be involved. When we're going through difficult times, it's very easy to lose sight of this. But we need to remember that God uses ordinary people, people like you and I, to accomplish extraordinary things. All right, number two, the second lesson we can learn from the life of Gideon. God is patient with us. Initially, Gideon lacked faith and was plagued by doubt. Gideon lacked faith that God was still with the Israelites. The Midianites had ruled over the Israelites for seven years, and Gideon doubted whether God still cared about them. Gideon asked for a sign to confirm what the angel was saying. Gideon lacked the faith to simply hear and believe. Gideon asked the Lord not once, not twice, but three times to prove to him that he would save Israel through him. In spite of the, in spite of the fact he had already seen fire come down and consume a sacrifice, Gideon wanted further confirmation with the fleeces. God must have thought Gideon has a short-term memory problem. And another thing, God must have thought that Gideon had a short-term memory problem. Like, come on, dude, God did the whole fire thing and you still want another sign of confirmation? 
Gideon really pushed the friendship with God by continually asking for signs of confirmation, but God was patient with him. This reminds me of a funny story that I uh, that I ha- that happened a few years ago, where I channeled my inner Gideon. It was around 11 years ago, and I was driving um, back from Tracy's old house. We were actually going to youth, and I was with Luke and Lisa. It's about a 40-minute drive, and they were both acting a little odd, which really isn't too out of place for Luke, especially. So I didn't think too much of it. Then, out of the blue, they tell me that they're engaged. Now, to put some context into all of this, right now, if we were to you know, relay that story, it doesn't seem like much of, a, much of a big deal. But at the time, they were simply friends and nothing more. So it came as quite a shock to me. And obviously, I didn't believe it. I thought it might have been some uh, part of some elaborate ruse on their part against me. So I asked for confirmation. Tell me how you proposed, Luke. I got the story, still didn't believe it. All right, uh, show me a picture of the ring or show me the ring. The ring wasn't ready, so they showed me a picture. I still didn't believe it. That went on and eventually we got to church. So 40 minutes later, we gone and that had gone backwards and forward. And eventually I said, look, if I'm going to believe this, I need you to kiss. And, and despite Lisa's initial reluctance, they did. And I eventually believed them. I needed those signs of confirmation to finally believe. Now, this is a funny story and, and an example that's, that's not a big deal, but Luke and Lisa might have started to get frustrated with me. Like, how many signs do they need to give me to prove to me that this has actually happened? And God must feel like that with us all the time. He tells us something and then we just forget or ignore it. Then we go back and ask him the same thing again. A process we repeat all too often, especially if we don't get the answer we want at first. But God is willing to work with us. He is patient with us. And as it says in Isaiah 55 verse 11, Isaiah 55 verse 11, So is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. In the King James Version, it says the word, his word, will not return void. Every time God speaks to us, it will achieve his desired purpose. And he is willing, patient to work with us, even if we don't get it straight away. God is patient with us. So let's have a look now at the third lesson. Gideon learned to trust in God and his faith grew. Gideon was willing to change and became a man of great faith. Even though Gideon didn't start out strong, his faith grew. He was willing to allow God to change him, to mature him, and to grow his faith. Let's have a look, uh, have a look at a couple of quick examples. Firstly, we've already discussed this, but Gideon sent two-thirds of his army home, even though he knew the enemy was much stronger. Some commentaries put the enemy's numbers at 135,000. So he has 30,000, which is obviously less to start off with, but he sends two-thirds of them home. Fighting 101 would clearly state you want to maximize your troops before you go into battle, not send two-thirds of them home if they're scared. Despite what common sense and most likely his key leaders would have told him, he trusted in God, but it didn't stop there. God then ends up asking Gideon to send all but 300 men home. Now, at this point, I personally would have been asking for another fleece or something else to give me a sign of confirmation that this is your will, God. You want me to do what? I started off with 30,000 and you literally want me to send 99% home and, and leave me with 300. 
But Gideon had grown. He had matured. He trusted in the Lord fully. Gideon, Gideon grew and matured so much that he's even mentioned in Hebrews 11 as a hero of the faith. So he's come quite a long way. So even if we have doubt and you're starting off in your walk with, with the Lord, learn to trust in him. Ask him to increase your faith. Remind yourself of what he's done in your life, especially if you're going through a rough patch. God doesn't expect us to be the finished article straight away. Our walk with the Lord is a journey of growth. Even Jesus didn't start his ministry on earth until he was 30 years old. All right, number four, and the last lesson that we can learn from his life. Leaving a legacy is important. Leaving a legacy is important. Gideon almost did everything right, except he didn't leave a lasting legacy. Gideon was a mighty leader. Despite of what Gideon thought of himself, people listened, obeyed, and followed him. Gideon was able to gather 30,000 men, and they were under his command. They trusted in him enough to be vulnerable and admit they were scared. Not an easy thing for any man to do, let alone someone about to go into battle. His leaders followed Gideon's instructions to allow 99% of the army to go. They must have fully trusted in Gideon's leadership. The 300 obeyed and followed Gideon's examples and orders with the trumpets, jars, and candles, no matter how strange this must have seemed at the time. And eventually, the Israelites wanted Gideon and his family to rule over them, another sure sign that they respected his leadership. Gideon was a leader that the people were prepared to follow. In spite of all of this, Gideon didn't build well for what came after him. He did not leave a legacy that would last, and the people turned back to their old ways once he died. We need to make sure we train up our kids and disciple young people to follow and then surpass us in our walk with the Lord. We need to make sure that those that come after us can build on what we've built. We need to live in the present but have one eye on the future. So that's the key lessons we can learn from the life of Gideon. To conclude, let's see how we can now apply it to our own lives. Firstly, we need to learn to trust and hear from God. I remember quite a while ago when I was getting my first car, my dad and I went out and we found a car that was definitely not the smartest first uh, new car uh, for, for, for a P-plater to own. But I got very excited by it and I twisted my dad's arm. My mum was the voice of reason and she tried to caution me, but I simply wouldn't take no for an answer. So I prayed and I asked God for a sign if I should get the car or not. I said to God that if I open up a page of the Bible and read through a chapter, if the word chariot was in that chapter, then that was the confirmation that I needed. So I did this three or four times obviously sticking very closely to the books of history at the start of the Bible where chariots would be mentioned. And believe it or not, every time I opened up a scripture, the word chariot was there. So that was all the confirmation I needed. However, my mum wasn't so convinced. She said to me that if this was a true sign, that she could also open up a, a random section of the Bible and the word chariot would be there as well. I tentatively agreed and she opened up a page from Psalms. But you can't make this stuff up. The word was there, and that was a done deal. That's all the confirmation I needed, and I, and I was able to get that car. 
So now looking back on that story, was this from God? I'm not so sure. What I do know, though, is that we won't always get a lightning bolt in the sky and we shouldn't play Bible roulette. Opening up a random scripture isn't the way to hear from God. When seeking confirmation or direction, we need to spend time alone with God, seeking his face, not just taking a a shortcut by randomly opening up to a place in the Bible and reading. We need to learn to read all of the Bible, have a reading plan, read chapters and entire books of the Bible, not just your favorite verses when you're looking to hear from God. Russ already mentioned it this morning. If you haven't read all of the Bible, get a reading plan. We don't want to just concentrate on the bits that you like. Read all of the word. And remember, God will speak to you through others as well, but we don't want to rely on this. God doesn't need a middleman to talk to you directly. Too often we're relying on getting a word from someone else rather than going direct to the source. Remember, God will also speak to you through dreams and visions, through the Holy Spirit, and even signs and wonders. In fact, Gideon spoke to God in most of in fact, God spoke to Gideon in most of these ways. He spoke to Gideon through an angel, through dreams and visions at the enemy camp, and through signs and wonders. We need to be open to hearing from God in different ways, not just in the ways we normally expect or even want. Lastly, be open to being used by God. Even if your circumstances seem bad, don't shut the door on being used by God. Gideon was available and God used him. Sometimes we can disqualify or discredit ourselves from being used by God. Gideon did at first, but eventually his faith grew, he obeyed, and God used him in a mighty way. God will use all of our circumstances to bring him glory. It's up to us if we're willing to be used by him or not. So just be faithful and available and let God do the rest. In closing today, as you're listening to the story of Gideon, remember that God wants to use you too. He sees the best in you, even if you don't see the best in yourself. He has a plan for you, for your life, and for your future. We need to lean on him and not learn to, and lean not on our, ourselves, but on him. No matter who you think you are or what your circumstances are, God has a plan for you. Today, as we're back in lockdown, as we're going through this pandemic, it's really easy to get discouraged. And and the world today is in a state of flux, but we have an opportunity to provide people with peace during this turbulent season. Peace that is lasting is only found in Jesus Christ. So point people to him. Learn to trust in God. Listen for his still sweet voice and allow him to guide and direct you. And that's the lessons that we can learn from the life of Gideon. What a wonderful message. Thank you, Joel. That was awesome. And uh, I think one of the things that's just so encouraging for me out of the Bible is that the Bible is such an honest book. It's not sugar-coated. God didn't decide, I'm only going to put the, the, the people that really shine and the, the top achievers and put all their examples in the Bible. There's so many examples, like people like Gideon, of people who were kind of nervous and and scared to step out of the boat, people who failed in other areas, and yet God still used them. And I think we can draw great encouragement from this message. No matter who you are, Joel's first point, God wants to use ordinary people if you are prepared to put your hand up and say, God, 
I'm available. Here I am. Uh, I, I offer you my whole life. Whatever you want to do in my life, I'm available to, to be used by you. Whatever you want me to say, I'm happy to say that. Wherever you want me to go, I'm happy to go there. If, if that's you this morning, you need to know God is speaking to you personally. Uh, God, this isn't just an information session here. God is actually speaking. And he's saying, are you prepared to be used by me? You might see yourself as the least of the least, like Gideon. You might think you've got absolutely nothing to offer God. And yet you, uh, being available to God, God can do mighty, mighty things through you. But do you believe it this morning? Are you prepared to take that message that's been preached today and say, okay, God, this isn't just some kind of a children's story in the Bible about some person that we can't really relate to. This story relates to each and every one of us. And no matter who you are, no matter how big or how small you think your faith is, God can use you if you just yield to God and say, okay, God, I surrender. I'll do what you want me to do. And so I want to just lead us in a prayer right now and just to make ourselves available to be used by God. We All we have to do is take the next step and that can start right now. If you walk away and think about it, well, it may never happen. But if you make a decision of your will and say, okay, God, I'm going to take a step today and say, yes, I want to be used by you, then God can actually lead you in this path and he will use you. So if that's you, if you're feeling stirred in your heart this morning, then let's respond to God in prayer. Let's, let's be flexible. Let's be adaptable. And let's say, Holy Spirit, I want to be led by you in Jesus' name. So let's bow our heads in prayer.